You're listening to Force-Fed Digital. BXU Heard. What's good? It's your boy Kingsbridge Rich. Can I kick it? Yes, you can. Can I kick it? Yes, you can. So I'm here kicking it with you guys this evening. So excited to be launching my podcast. This is the My Bronx Story with yours truly, Kingsbridge Rich. So a little bit about what I do here. Peep the intro. Pretty much I'm just a dude from the Bronx representing Kingsbridge, but I got some roots in Highbridge. And I'm going to give you a vivid story of the Bronx. I'm going to intertwine some kind of ideas of, of perspective on life mixed in with some of the things that I've experienced. And I kind of kick it with y'all, give you nostalgia, and kind of give you these stories in a way that you can feel and you can kind of entice all your senses through it. So please subscribe, catch us here, and um, you'll get some weekly episodes. This is the first. And I got a few things to do to introduce you guys to this platform and to my speaking. You guys are going to get to know me. And what I encourage you guys to do is just uh, follow me on other platforms as well. That way we can get to know each other. So I got a lot of uh, followers on TikTok. So please, you can catch me there as Kingsbridge Rich. Uh, You can catch my IG. That way, some of the things that I'm speaking about on an episode, for reference sake, you can take a look at a picture, a glance at a video or something that kind of brings to life and gives context to something I share here with you guys. So I'll be doing a lot of that. I was known as the cameraman back in the days. So I have tons of pictures and footage, stuff I share on my socials. So you don't want to miss that. So again, you can catch me on IG as My Bronx Story. You can catch me on TikTok as Kingsbridge Rich. And you pretty much don't want to follow me anywhere else. These are the places that you can check me. So that's going to be dope, um, connecting with you guys and take a look. Send me a follow, subscribe, and all that good stuff. But yeah, man, we got some things to talk about, man. The hood, the Bronx, my Bronx story. Some of the things that I share here are going to be nostalgic for you. Expect that some of the stuff that I talk about can be touchy subjects. You see, not everybody who went through the type of traumas that a lot of us went through in the Bronx, New York City living, and whatever borough you rep, one thing's for certain that it's pretty hard to tell some of these stories. So I find myself in a position that I can articulate these stories, but I can also paint them vividly. And in some cases, I'm going to tell the stories so that you don't have to. But I just ask that please interact in whatever way you can, not just follow, you know, on the platforms. For the meanwhile, I'm accessible and we can talk and kick it because I think this platform is beyond just telling stories. This is a platform where people can connect, get through all the other socials, hear a story that can resonate, and then you have an opportunity to share your story. What's your wrong story? What's similar to, you know, a a circumstance that you heard through this podcast? So I'm going to really enjoy my time with you guys, and I'm going to enjoy the time it takes me to share some of these things that I've been through and to challenge myself and be as creative as I can too. But all in all, it's therapeutic. It's a dope opportunity, and I know there's something, a little bit of something for everybody. So, you know, tune in for more chapters as well. Uh, other episodes are to come. So about me again, I go for by a lot of names, you know, so it'd be Richie Rich, it'd be Ricky, um, it'd be Esco back in the days because I got a raspy voice 
And so my voice, sometimes people used to just be like, oh, you know, you sound like Esco. So in high school, I had a couple friends that called me Esco, whatever. But like one of them, funny enough, was Pretty Ricky. Now you're gonna hear a lot about me talking about stories of poverty, right? You're gonna hear a lot of stories that I tell you about like how thirsty I was for getting certain clothing. And it kind of helped me develop an eye for fashion because I yearned for it so much. And I paid close attention to those who had certain clothing items that I wished to have. And so I, lo I long for all these types of uh, clothing and, and I developed the fashion sense by just watching. And as I watched, you know, some opportunities came by uh, my way to allow me to acquire some of these clothings that I so longed for uh, plenty of times. And it had me thinking, I was thinking like, yo, before StockX and you see all these consignment uh, stores and be before you had all these consignment websites where people would submit their items, their items would be reviewed by experts. And these experts would deem whether your sneakers or your item was authentic. And then they'll grade it on a rating of like a one to 10 in terms of condition, right? So it kind of guesses, it takes the guesswork out of it. It kind of takes uh, a lot of the effort out of it for the normal person. But lucky for you to have StockX and those kind of things, because back in the days, right, I'm gonna sound like an old head now saying that back in my days, but back in my days, we had the hood version of StockX, which pretty much wasn't an online store. It wasn't a brick and mortar store. It was pretty much the rule of the streets and what you deemed value to the item you were selling and what was fashionable at the time or what was boosted at the time. So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about that because a lot of my story in the Bronx has to do with a lot of robbery too. And so, you know... I kind of can give you a good perspective on what it meant to the fashion world when you was in the hood, but you was also poor. And for me, becoming pretty Ricky was something that developed from my yearning for clothes when I was poor. And so, you know, I did see the people who was coming through with certain clothing um, items that, you know, were, were pretty you know, popular. You see certain rappers with the same things. But uh, with, in due time, you start meeting some of these, ca these cats. And so for me, I be in the street, you know, I start meeting some of these kids and I start thinking like, how are they so fresh? What do their parents do? And often I find out that their parents weren't even like making money like that. So then it comes back to the kid, the friend, like what is it that he's doing to make money? And so I was just talking a little bit about the whole concept of stock X. And in the streets, what happens is that at least for me and many people I know, you develop a, um, you develop a skill of taking certain clothings and knowing the lines and, and all the types of clothing that comes in a certain series, for example, right? So you have a certain name brand. Within that name brand, you have uh, certain levels of value, right? According to the store, you know? And in the hood, there's certain things that become discontinued. There's certain things that, that you know, you obtain a certain colorway that people in your hood don't have or in the hood don't have or certain pieces that are sample pieces. And such was the case before StockX and you would have to have a certain type of working memory as to what cost what in the hood. And some real life examples of that was like North Face items and spider items. So there was a big, big market for ski items. And I had a combination of friends that were still, or um, you know, different methods of stealing. And I'm gonna get into that in a little bit. But like North Face, for example, would be one that you know, if it was a certain year that a certain color came out and then there was a, a more common color, so that would fetch a certain price. And then there'll be, and so I'll give an example, like a Steep Tech 1995, if it was black and yellow, 
it's not as exclusive. It was probably one of the more common colors. So then you think of the other colors they have. And then from there, like certain colors would be rare. Certain colors would be, you know, um, if they were discontinued, you wouldn't find it anymore. And so now the value of it. And these, this is pretty much the premise for these types of websites or consignment shops because, you know, this is pretty much the way that the value is determined. And so in our case, there were certain people that was doing it before everybody. And uh, there happened to be the graffiti writers, pretty much. I'm going to have to give it to y'all. There were rack crews, too. So, you know, rap crew, rack crews, that's W-R-A-C-K, rack crews, there was definitely up there. And you had, like, dudes from, from Brooklyn that was killing the polo game. And uh, we knew through those dudes and the Brooklyn heads what was dope polo. And so, you know, we emulated. But our, on our end, because that wasn't a market that we cornered, you know, our stock X and our understanding about clothing was whatever we got secondhand. And so, you know, I kind of turned into a little pretty boy with that because I would learn the numbers of certain items and I would trade up. And so I knew if I traded these two sweaters for that jacket, it would kind of be like me coming off, but it seems like an even exchange. And so little by little, you trade your way up and you start building up your, your closet of items and then you get certain items and you know you, you now you're the person with the exclusive in your area so you have more buying power on certain things you could trade that one item for three more items or, or two items in cash on top so there's so many ways that we would do it and um, it was pretty cool though because uh, we know that these are kind of like the foundational pieces for what we see in StockX and consignment spots but in the street it was crazy and it got crazy because like there would be hood trades and meetups Right. And that's when it got dangerous. And so I like I remember like like the squad. Right. Would be a mix of some dudes that were like street graffiti writers. And there'd be some dudes that are just like straight stick up kids or like kids that like the strong arm clothing. Right. A lot of times it was either or. And for me, like I remember what it was to expect to do a trade for a certain steep tech. Right. So there's like an all red steep tech 1997 about to be traded for like some cash and a red and gray search and rescue jacket, for example. And so now <clears throat> we got an ex we got a, a location we know we're gonna meet. It's kinda like neutral territory because each squads represent a certain neighborhood, a certain area, you know, so you don't wanna really be in another person's area or turf, shall I say. And so you got to find something that's somewhat neutral. And then sometimes you don't know who their allies are, and it might seem like neutral territory, but there's some other folks that are their allies on that side. So you see how hood trades can get very complicated. And so the threat was always in your mind that somebody might want to jux you, and the jux is pretty much somebody sticking you up. And so I've been on both sides of it through my friendships and stuff where we were the people doing the jux and going out there and just strong-arming the clothes. Or I was with the dudes that was just trading up, you know, here... We got, we obtained these two jackets, you know, we got the cinnamon steep tech, cinnamon color steep tech, you know, we want to train it for that, that Hunter Green joint, the 97 Hunter Green for this, for the steep tech 1995 um, cinnamon colorway with the pouch, you know, and there's so many items that, that matter to the trade, like did it have, did it have paint on it? Because a lot of times graffiti writers was going bombing. Right, which is pretty much, you know, there were tag banging, there was catching tags, and sometimes there'll be little spray packles, uh, spackles on the, on the clothing. And so, of course, that would determine, like, you know, how fresh the item is, too. And sometimes there was people, like, you'd always find somebody, because these were such hot items that you always find somebody that was interested anyway, even if it had a little blemish on it. Maybe for fetching a little less price, but definitely there was always something for somebody. 
But um, it was interesting, though, because with these meetups, many times we'll go ahead and just, like, we'll have meat cleavers and, like, the wrist straps on these, like, North Face jackets and spider jackets, for example, could secure a hammer, could secure a meat cleaver, which is often, like, what we would do. And many of us will put blades in our mouths. When I got cut in the face, <clears throat> I started carrying blades in my mouth as well. So we all, like, got used to doing that and stuff because there's just places that, like, you know, you want to have quick access. You know, your, your hammer falls, your mallet falls, or whatever, you know, you want to be able to reach something else. So, <clears throat> you know, we'll go to neutral territory. It'd be this crew that kind of got beef, a little something beef, or we got to be on, you know, eggshells with the other crew. And we meet up, it'd be four of them, four of us, three of us, five of them, or whatever. Something light, something that's not too intimidating, you know? Kind of give that, but everybody's on their toes. So it's not so much of a welcome ex uh, environment, right? And then pass off the goods. All right, cool, you know, check it out. Here's what I got. Boom, and you're here in the street, in public, observing a jacket and checking all the buckles checking the zippers, checking the inner pockets for any tears or rips. You know what I mean? Check it, checking if the harnesses are there in place. If you open up the pouch, if it's coming with the goggles, if it's coming with the little mesh thing to clean your goggles. So like all those things determine like, is this a fair trade or what? Cause I'm giving you this. I'm giving you this Tommy Mo spider, you know, with the hood because sometimes those jackets end up in trades without the hood. But it like, you got your pouch, I got my hood, what's up? You know what I mean? So, like, that's one of the equivalents because Spider against uh, North Face, for example, if you was going to trade a Steep Tech for a Tommy Mo, all right, cool. Does, does your Tommy Mo got a hood? Because that was important to the trade. Does your Steep Tech, come, uh, Steep Tech come with the pouch and the anchors and all the straps that connect it? And so all these things are things that matter to the person that knows the market. And with us and with me, definitely being somebody loathing after everybody who had all the good fits, you know, it was something that I paid mind to and it's something that was really appealing to me. But it was dangerous with these meetups. And there was times where people got other crews for the meetup. Just like anything that you're selling that, you know, it goes wrong. You know, where it be a meetup and now all these people get jumped by these people and now, you know, one squad is up a jacket or two. You know what I mean? But that's one way. And then, like, you know, that was pretty much the trades where, like, you know, you level up and, you know, throw cash on top of it. There was people that was trading jackets for cars and all of that. Like, it would get really deep because the value of these jackets, as exclusive as they become, there's a higher value. I've had polo jackets that went on the, on the Internet for two grand, 2500 Stuff that I buy, like, on the street, $300, boom. You know what I mean? Like, so... Depending on certain years, the condition, the collar, the, um, if there's any scuffs in the inside of the, the wristbands and stuff like that. But like if it wasn't them, a lot of times you dealt with new with tags, right? And so crews will be the types that will be new with tag type of dudes. These dudes will go to stores and they had their spots, right? So they'd go upstate. Upstate, they pretty much would just find a spot that had like all these North Faces, a ski shop, it's upstate. And so nobody really knows the spot, so it's not hot yet. These dudes done drove an hour up to some ski shop upstate, and they're dressed like skaters, right? And they go in there, and they just start throwing them down the leg and pinching it with their belt and cinching their belt really tight to secure the sleeve or whatever portion of the jacket fabric was hanging out so they could successfully stuff it down their leg and still move around. How many I got this time? I got two jackets this time. I went in with three people. That's eight jackets. We're going back to the hood with jackets that got tags on them. So we're fetching Top Dollar because it came with everything and it's brand new. And that's always a, a freaking gold mine right there when you came with new with tags. 
or whatever. But that was pretty much the boosters, the boosters. So like there was a little bit for everybody in the hood when it came to that. And like, for example, like with the Rat Crews, right? They were doing like, you know, new with tags, selling it with the tag on it, no blemishes, everything was perfect with the item, right? So then what happens is that now the streets is flooded with people who ought not afford these items because they bought it for half price. They got a street price on it or whatever like that, right? But here we go to catch all those people, right? It's the stick-up kids. Strong-arming up and down Kingsbridge, robbing people for their spiders, for their Avarexes, for their Vansons, for their A-Solos, leaving them in the cold, walking over slush in socks, getting to the nearest building. There was no app to call Uber. When you was caught out there, you was caught slipping. You was just got, and that was just the name of the game. So the stick-up kids was definitely somebody to reckon with. And so you had to have points with somebody, right? You couldn't just be on Kingsbridge or other areas. If you're not from that hood, you can't go out there with a, without a cosign. You, when you step into a hood, you got to at least give that two, three go-arounds before you can go back without your cosign. Don't dare. If you get off the train, meet me at the train before you walk into the block. But people slip. And a lot of times the stick-up crews was there for that. Like, there was a dude from Queens, because Queens, I feel like Queens dudes were more like money dudes. And the Bronx dudes was more hun hungry. So, like, when you saw a Bronx dude shining, he went through some work to shine. Like, you know, like, because, like, look at the economy of the Bronx. Like, you know, Queens spots have so much more prestigious spots. You know, you got these, you know, kids that their parents got money and they dress good. So for a Bronx dude who's hungry, like, if you came through the hood and you didn't come with your cosign, you know what I mean? Like, your cosign agent, don't, don't think because you've been here twice that, that the whole squad remembered your face. Because if the two of the three that, they, that was there the first time go in the building real quick, then the luck, the way the luck is going to work on you is, is you know, it's going to be a bad mix for you. So, like, I remember a story one time this dude came. Now, keep in mind, like I said, the Bronx being hungry. There's a dude from Queens. There's an Asian dude, right? And he came to meet up with a squad, you know, on the bridge. Right, they were all into graffiti or whatever, but like, you know, they were all getting fresh and they were probably gonna do a deal or a trade or just do graffiti, whatever. So, you know, when you're on the block on the sidelines, you're posting up at the spot, you know, you see the in and outs of the blocks and you know how the blocks are. You know, on Kingsbridge, it's just like long, dark blocks, one ways all over the place. You know what I mean? So, you in the crevices of the hood, off the, the, the four line, off the D line or whatever. So, you gotta kind of make your way two, three blocks in. You know what I mean? Without your cosign. So this dude comes through the hood because he's on his way to see our mans. We don't know who you're connected to if you're a stranger, right? So this dude's proceeding into the block, not knowing any better or thinking any better, but he's coming through with a, a certain North Face steep tech with a certain colorway, and it had more Kevlar than the usual one. So instead of just having Kevlar on the shoulders, it had it on the forearms too, right? Um, and so, like, that was the first time, like, people got a taste, like, yo, who's this dude? But still not really connecting, like, who he's with, who he's here for. Then the next time that he comes through, he's with a Polo Ski 9-2. We're, like, in 1996 or 7. So he got a classic at the time, 9-2 Ski Goose, right? That's actually the jacket I had sold uh, on eBay one time. Um, but um, the jacket, the, the, the Polo Ski 9-2... And he comes through with it, but he comes with, through with like a vest version of it, which was like custom, like people. So anyway, he's coming through our hood with something that like he, you come in with no cosign and we don't know who you are. And you come in with some exclusive stuff. It was over for him. 
So not only did they yap him, but like he was head to toe. Like, you know, it wasn't just the jacket. The jacket caught everybody's attention, but down from the sweater, from the pants, from the... They took his jacket that moment, and then they, they took a blade and ripped right through the goose and all of that, going for it, going for him. And I believe they split his back open too. Yeah, all for clothing. Because the Bronx, you know, Bronx being gritty and hungry, like, yo, like, like I was talking about like my names and stuff or like nicknames that I have, like Pretty Ricky, like, yeah. you know, I was mad poor, but like I did learn early how to like juggle certain clothes and trade up to the point that like I had, you know, it'll go from like, like your top tier street stuff and then you start jumping over into the luxury stuff, right? So it's like Armani. It's not even Armani Exchange no more. Like, you know, like you pretty much, you know, you was, you was, you was wearing all of this, like, you know, Tommy Hilfiger was stolen, Nautica that was stolen, your polo stuff was severely stolen. You know what I mean? So you're here with all these clothing lines. You know, you got your North Faces, you got your Spiders, you know, you got your AV jackets, you got your Vansons, and people are trading these up. So I learned to buy one, keep it in good condition, and find somebody that really wants the one that I got. You know what I mean? Or if I knew people close enough that they stole something, but they give me a good price, whatever, a certain color, you know, jacket, you know, extreme, uh, you know, whatever, like North Face at the time that I thought was dope that I can get a good color on. Like, oh, nobody in this area got that color. Boom, I pick it up for a good price because it's my man. I go to another hood and sell that same jacket and make $75, $100, $200 on top of it, whatever, you know, because depending on who wanted it that bad. And so, you know, you ended up, you know, like, it was that, it was also apartments. Like, yo, I have friends that like, like the secondhand market was crazy in the hood. Like there was people like, they'll open up their door in their apartment and you go to a bedroom and on their bed, like a flea market is a bunch of folded clothes. So I had like pretty boy, like old head friends that were pretty boys that like, they were tired with that season clothes. But like me as a young cat, like, yo, it's still that name brand. Like, I don't care if it was brand new or last season, like that. So something he, he paid like 60, 70 bucks for, I'm paying $15 for. And now I'm racking up. I'm not buying nothing new. I'm I'm on my summer youth. Um, I'm on my summer youth income. <laughs> my summer youth income at like what four seventy five? Uh, not even three dollars and fifteen cents an hour or something. What? Yo, it was crazy. Little by little, yo. You see, you had you had layaway. You had layaway in the apartments. But, like, I feel like the, the going rate, the word of mouth, and the way that people remembered the prices on things and how to price things is remarkable. Because right now, like I was talking about StockX, people rely on going to the app and kind of getting a sense collectively of what people are deeming the value of that. You go to get a pair of sneakers, why those are so much? And then you see in this size, it's only this available. This one is more common, so, you know, supply and demand. So the economics behind the hood dealings and who determines what more valuable than what. There'll be certain times that a certain rapper comes out in a music video with a certain item. So if you got that version, because it's sold out quick in the stores, because everybody wants to do what the rapper wants to do, boom, you're going to Genesis Leathers, getting your Vanson jackets. So then that's top dollar. You know what I mean? Or you're going to Vanson in other areas because they have certain they have certain jackets that they don't carry in Sammy's fashion and Fordham Road, like the Vanson's that they're carrying down, you know, on Fordham Road or Third Ave or whatever like that. You know what I mean? So nonetheless, the hood was synonymous with innovation. And I think that we come at a time where you see like the digital era 
the websites era. And although like 1995, we could say was the birth of like, you know, websites and stuff like that and e-commerce. But to a degree, you got to think it was in its infancy. It didn't even know how to walk yet while the hood was already doing it. You know what I mean? And we talking the hood in, in all the ways. And you talking about like, like when it comes to like a commodity, right? The GDP almost, like the amount of clothing, the amount of polo that's in your hood is determined by how many people are stealing it from stores, how many people are stealing it from other people in other areas, and how many people are buying it. You know what I mean? So, like, it's a whole mix of that, and all of that determines your, your, your end value of the product. And we was doing deals and getting fresh off of that. So, you know, welcome to... My podcast, and it's your boy Rich and Pretty Ricky and Ricky Ricks, Ricky Richie Rich, and all that stuff. So, you know, Esco, and um, you know, these are some of the stories that we talk about over here. And um, I could say, as far as like racking and boosting, I was getting into like graffiti writers because like Kingsbridge was really known for a lot of graffiti writers and hip hop in general. Like, yo, for like a '90s kid, hip hop was so close to you because like you walk in front of your stoop and one of your friends at least was a DJ or a rapper or could dance at like all the house parties or something. Like I would say if there's four pillars, you know, you have the turntable, you know, you have the B-boy, you know, you have your MCs, you know, you have your graffiti writers. So these are the four pillars or whatever. And you got as a backdrop, the fashion, you know, and how we put ourselves together and the fits that are synonymous with hip hop. But Kingsbridge, you know, being, you know, a place of pioneers, like we had graffiti writers like Tracy 168, you know, we had graffiti writers, you know, all up and down Kingsbridge that were really making a mark on this thing that was survived 40 plus years, 50 years. And so being from Kingsbridge is also being really close to these pioneers, to these originators and seeing these people right in front of your eyes. You know what I mean? Doing their work casually in front of you. And every so often as you transverse through the streets, you're seeing their artwork even closer because they're from your area. So an abundance more of their artwork for you, almost as if it's a gift for those who are close to it. So, you know, I talk a lot about like, you know, things that are close to home and graffiti is definitely one. But when we talk about StockX, I could say the people that was the most influential in the hood was the graffiti writers. Like these dudes had all the spots. And when you think about it, like, yo, graffiti is an expensive game. You know, four, five dollars, six dollars a can of paint. You know what I mean? And you think about it like you're going to be in a place where like all right so like to break down graffiti in general all graffiti is 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 a uh, is you taking your art or you taking your efforts and wanting attention for it like at the core you want to make your mark on society you know and so like when you think about it some people are artistic and some are not so either way like it's almost like i'm gonna make my name known and kingsbridge has come through with a mix of those like in my time i've met some pioneers like tracy 168 you know what i mean uh, true to rest in peace and a lot of like you know cats who are pioneers for like all the pillars but like when it comes to graffiti a lot of these graffiti writers were really good at stealing because to fund their art like a lot of them would start off by stealing cans and like they would have their paint stores like this is before like all the stores would keep the paint behind like cages so like you know you start developing this whole itch because it's like all right i'm out with my paint i pay for but I, I still got this itch. I want to go all city. I want to tag my name everywhere. You know what I mean? So, like, with my friends that got into graffiti, I would see them as they journeyed through the art, starting off with a marker. 
hitting up all the pay phones that they could find, all the street si- the street poles that they could find. Every green street pole, you know, that shows the kind of like, you know, alternate sides and all of that. All the silver poles, all the mailboxes, the box next to the mailbox. But then it's not enough. You know, you need your name bigger and better. And for some, it was quantity over quality, right? And then there was rules to it too. Because if you painted over what? If you did a marker tag over a throwy, that's a no-no, right? If you did an outline, you know, you better have thrown a piece. If you, did, if you went over mine, it better have been a piece. And not just your throwy going over my burner. You understand? So, like, there's rules to it. Because you imagine you're spending upward $100, $150, $200, whatever the price is for a piece for somebody to buff you. And so, like, yo, the graffiti writers would get busy in the hood. Because now they're stealing everything they could so that they could steal more paint, buy more paint, do more of their paint stuff. And some people got famous by their artwork. Some of them were muralists. Some of them had a lot of permission spots. Some of them had, like, just the burner game on Smash. But then you had other dudes. There's another one? Then you had other dudes that were the types of people that, like, you know, they'll, they'll get their name out because they're doing this ugly throwy everywhere. But they're doing it everywhere, and they go all city. So, like, there's different ways to get respect in it. But I tell you, one and all, all the graffiti writers I met were, like, class A thieves. Class A thieves. Like, these dudes. I have graffiti writer friends that stole snakes from pet stores down the leg. Alligators down the leg. Turntables. Infamil. If you're a graffiti writer and you're tuned in, you know what I'm talking about. Enfy spots. You know what spots that will go where it will fetch, like, you know, that, that was sweet. Like, you know, you say a spot was sweet when you go to that spot and you knew that you could come off because for whatever reason, it was an easy target. You know, you go up to one store, you know, and you're still infamil, but then you go to the other store and sell it to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then there'll be little competitions in the hood where people will take infamils and now... You know, this dude's like, oh, I came off with this many. Now this person's like, I came off with more. So now within the hustle, there's also competition, and you're getting a name off of how much infamil you can steal from the store. That's really called, like, hood living. And, and, and so this is the hood. This is hood economy. Hood economy. Hood e- that should be the name of this episode. Hood economy. But the graffiti writers made a, a, a huge contribution to the clothing and to these type of items or whatever in the hood. It was dope. It was crazy. But I think, um, you know, not only that, like the bragging rights and going all city, but, um, you know, when it came to them racking and the culture of money. So it wasn't only clothing. They stole everything. Like I said, they was going to like, they was going to, um, to clothing stores. They were stealing paints. They was rocking their junko, you know, Y leg pants so they could come off with a thousand things with some spanks under. So there was a way to do all of it. There was a way that you came off, and there's a way that they came off. So, you know, it was a combination of, like, sweet spots where you went to do it, you know? The other thing, too, like, how other ways you could make money. And some of these dudes, like, like they will have discontinued paint. They'll be going for their summer squash or whatever other colors. Like, that was one that was a hit. So, like, when you're doing your graffiti and you're painting all over the place and, like, you're using a certain color that was discontinued, that's like a, a whistle to another graffiti writer. They'd be like, oh, I see you. You understand? So that craving for attention, 
you know that this continue, you know what, I'm going to pay extra because it's going to make my name even bigger. And all of that kind of fueling your desire to steal and get more so you can do more. You know what, whatever, I'm going to find my way in the exchange of money in the hood. And this is, you know, the whole idea and the concept. And these are the bare bones behind like places like StockX and consignment. These are the bare bones. This is the foundation of that all, you know. And another thing, too, is like even between like the other areas that you will come off in the hood, like like the hood is a place that's resourceful. Like when you in the hood and this is the thing about like hood economy. Again, I should say I say we should call it that. But like hood economy is also as such that like if you if you grew up on or near a crack spot, for example, it was also coming off of cheap stuff. So, like, I started off by saying, like, you could see the bare bones and the foundation of StockX with exchanging gear. But, like, you could see the bare bones and the foundation of Craigslist for all the other second. Like, we had our electronics department. And it was always a fiend or a crackheads, you know, coming through with some stolen item. I could tell you, like, 80 to 90 percent of the stuff that I had at home was obtained by a crackhead. Or, like, a thief, one of my stick-up kid friends, whatever. A night out in town, like there'd be nights like after, like we'll go to parties deep, and eventually it turned from we went to parties to chill out to we're roaming Kingsbridge looking for like jackets oh or whatever. God. And this was like every Friday, like every weekend, pretty much. But crack spots, yo, listen, listen. The funny thing about like and like this is in no way, I, you know, I know you gotta be PC and stuff like that. So when I say crackhead, I'm talking about a person who has an addiction to crack cocaine. And who is also like in in my case and in the depictions I give, who are people in our urban spaces, more particularly in the Bronx. And so you know, all is all. You know, I speak on it. I got family that was, or still is rather. So you know, it's close to my heart. I don't mean no disrespect with it, but like you know, just for lack of better words, the crackheads. And like you know, it's crazy and yet funny at the same time that a lot of times the crackheads were almost like like personas, like something about the way that your body would change course and shape and you look almost cartoonish as a, like a sketch. Like these dudes are coming through the hood looking like sketches and they all got like their own twitchy, crazy, famous moves and they all are known for something in particular. Like I know what it's like to cop a lot of stuff from crackheads too, like electronics, mm-hmm. right? And this is the hood economy. All the time, like, like I think every TV, every box TV I had that I bought for $50 or $80 or $85, was from the hood. Vitamins, health products, Perp Plus shampoo. Oh my God. <laughs> you know what I mean? The throwbacks. Like, yo, give it up. Give it up to the crackheads of the 90s. I don't know what they're doing now. Like, I think they're asking for too much. They're not even in, right? Like, what's, that's like, it's not a stable economy, I guess, because back in the days, at least they was coming off. Like, I had, I had a dude from my old block named Craig. Yo, Craig faithfully, like every Monday or Tuesday, would come knocking on my door at some point. And Craig would show up at my door with a bag. And the bag usually carried the same thing. It was either boxers. At some point, like, you buy enough from these crackheads. Excuse me. Right? You buy enough from these crackheads, they know your size. They know what you like. You know what I mean? Like, they know your style. I had a crackhead talk me into some stuff because that's what they do, too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they make you, like, yo, this is, this is the bare bones of advertising. Ain't nobody going to advertise something, right? Yeah. Yo, mommy, you want something, too? I got something for you. Oh, you guys are going out tonight. I think you guys are both look good with this. Come on, cop it. Like, yo, straight game. Like, forget. Like, these dudes, the only thing that's keeping them in between success is that addiction. 
Because again, like, yo, when you meet a crackhead or when you're in a crack spot long enough or a crack, air, uh, crack area long enough, you learn that these dudes are, are people in their old lives were creative. In their old lives, they were about something. Yeah. But this addiction just took over them. And sometimes you start off looking like at a crackhead like they ain't got no value because you see them at their current state. You don't see them like in the future. And, and so then there's also like the range of what they go through. You know what I mean? Like you catch a crackhead at the very beginning of they, of they fall. You know what I mean? Where they're just asking for money. And then later on it's like, chill, I got to develop some type of hustle. And one of the things I say about crackheads that I've noticed, like for the most part, like I used to post up, like I have friends that had crack spots. Like they were the, you know, it, it was their spots, whatever. And I spent a lot of time, you know, just, just posted up or whatever and being out there. Just, you know, summer streets and stuff, winter nights and just being out there. And I'm one dude that like, I always bounce off of energy. Like I don't care to, to think that I look any more lame because I'm with somebody. That's never been my thing. I always show love to anybody. And that's why I got the respect and I could walk through my hood the way I could. But I also used to talk with crackheads too. <laughs> Sometimes I get them in trouble for staying a little long because you know, if they linger around for too long, it makes it hot. But like, I would get to know some of these crackheads and get to know like, what are the things that they used to do before they got addicted? And I noticed that like some of them, like plenty of people who, who become addicted to the drugs are people who are the creative types, artistic types. Oh, yeah. And like, they, they come from an area where they're like starving artists. They used to be able to carry their trade or they were doing good at some point. Their art was featured in certain areas, prominent areas. You know, they were going on tour, they were sharing their craft in places, you know? But then at some point, it got so exciting, the money came in so fast that they start taking taken to taking certain drugs and then e escalating from one drug to the next until their decline. And so then to see the different stages of that person. And depending on at what point you meet this person, you meet this fiend at the very beginning where they might be still hope, you understand? But like in the hood, if you're the one that's doing the hand to hand and you exchange it with these people and they just a dollar sign, it's so easy for you to let their value slip before your eyes. You don't have enough time because you're exchanging. You're making sure that you're not getting locked up. You're looking up and down the street to make sure that you're not busted. You're counting your money because you know once you open that pack, you got to account for the whole pack. So much goes into it that it's so easy to overlook the time and exchange. But me, rich being rich, being on the hood, I'm close enough to it that like that's my man spot. But I'm not a person out there selling crack. I do my own little, you know, fumbling and stuff like that on the side. I got my own thing. I make my own money on you know on what I do but my 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 paper don't interfere with nobody else so me being posted up being on the block and sitting down and you know kind of tying up a couple minutes with a fiend and just knowing which one was a backup dancer for this artist knowing which one was a famous you know a uh, dancer and traveled the world and they'll show you like you know all kind of like pictures the next time they come through they were, they were regular people regular people and I will always get a sense. And in fact, like, although I didn't sell rock, I was always in the rocks, you know, people cutting in my house and all of that. That wasn't my thing. My thing was just powder. But, yeah, and not my thing, like, I was kingpin, you know what I mean? Like, you know, for the little that I did out there, with what I did, like, that was what I was, I was uh, going with and some bud. But, like, I would say that, like, I got to really realize the lives of people. And sometimes, like, even with what I was doing, it wasn't even 
moving that hard. But what, what I was doing, I was noticing that, like, I would feel a little bad, a little guilty. You know what I mean? Like, it's not everybody that allows himself to feel that guilt because you got to get past it to make that dollar. And some people who are out there in the street are straight, you know, chaotic and psycho, and they can care less. That's really their MO. Like, it's not everybody out there that's a savage and on demon time who's hustling. Some people got a conscience and they just out there because they need to. Other people, they don't need to do it. They just want to do it for attention and then they get slid up and they're the ones that snitch because they wasn't about that life, but they had a good run. It was all fun and game when you're popping bottles. But now when that squad is in the house as well and they and they popping bottles and now the girls from your side is going that side and somebody's a little drunk and, and cause a little scuffle by the bathroom and now everybody's popping off and now you realize that it's a lot more than just making some money. You know what I mean? Which, which is the way it happens, you know? So, like, it, it's, it's all of that when you think about, like, crack spots and, and the personas and the type of people who become addicted. Because, yo, you know what? At the end of the day, some of these dudes was hustlers as well. There's some of these people that they come to cop and they only there because they used to have it locked down at some spot. And they went from testing their product to taking a little more, to mixing it in their weed. Now they smoking woos. You know what I mean? Like, and it's crazy because like, yo, you don't know how weak or strong you are until that addiction hits you. Sometimes you don't even know that you're addicted. I had my addictions with alcohol. You know, thank God that I never had a crack addiction, a cocaine addiction. But I grew up watching my family with those addictions. It was close to home. It was, it was, you know, it was something I was and like, you know, I talk about my family and you're going to hear a lot about my family. But like my family was a very up in front of your face type of family. Like seldom did they hide things. Like although like we were kids and like all the cousins would run around and be in a mix, adults still carried on their adult conversations whether you were around or not. And so like a lot of times I think in the past generations they would see you and they would not really take into consideration how much you're comprehending about the moment. They just look at you as a kid and be like, and you'll just go along their way. So like growing up with these personalities and, and seeing the progression of your relatives go from like everybody's partying, they go in the bathroom a lot, but you know, this aunt is starting to like argue with everybody a little more. This this aunt got a little more twitches and is walking a little weirder. This person come a little late. You start watching that develop before your eyes in some of our families. And that's very difficult to see. So for me, it was hard for me to be on the block and see past that. But like the other thing is like with crackheads, like I had those those empathy moments and stuff. But some of these crackheads couldn't allow you to be too sad for too long with them. Like some of them will come and show you, yo, I could flip. We had this crackhead that we call flips. Why you think? Take a guess. <laughs> he flips. That's all he yo, listen, one time I was on Fordham. Like he used to come up the block and, and like it wouldn't even buy him a an, an extra nick or something. Like, yo, it, yo, flips was like a, a four foot. 10 dude that was brolic. He had a Caesar cut and his clothing were like eight sizes bigger. He looked like a boy and an old man at the same time. And he will always wear boots. It could be 102 degrees in the, in the, in the gritty streets of the Bronx and he'll do 15 flips up the block, be out of breath, and then get served. And so it's crazy because, <laughs> all right, so you know the, Rumble, the Royal Rumble with like WWE? That's the best way I could describe it. Like every 60 seconds, you got a new person coming. That's their own persona. They got their own special power. They got their own special move. They're known for their own special feature. So you on the block and your block is clicking 
And you got the lady that comes that flashes everybody that don't wear panties. Oh, my God. And she screams, Tambleque. <laughs> right? You got Cigarillo on Kingsbridge who just walks through and he got this Asian squat that he does. Like them dudes in, in Thailand that oh, smoke their cigarettes. Low, yeah. Like he that. just stays low, just like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those are characters. You got We Saw. Like, you got so many different crackheads. Like, some that look like the things that their nickname is. Like, We Saw look like a weasel. <laughs> You know what I mean? But, you know, then you also had, like, people who were, like, into the arts. And, like, we had this dude that would sell soap. So, like, I don't know if it was in prison or whatever, but the dude would take soap and carve the soap into swans and all kind of stuff. And he'll sell it for, like, $20. You put it on the dresser and stuff like that. Buy it for your girlfriend. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, like, he'll come to you and he'll have, like, some pre-made soap bars and you give him your girlfriend name and he'll call your girlfriend name. He'll show, look, I got this from my man. He's an artist. Really, it's a crackhead <laughs> that came to cop. And so, for me, like, again, I wasn't, I wasn't selling krills on the block, but I was coming off hard because every so often if they came, like, my man needs paper. At the end of the day, cool, you might come with a stolen jacket, a nice leather, but it's not for all the time. Like, you still need paper like you know what i mean but many times i'll be posted up and like you know if my man is not with just doing a trade you know some 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 krills for like whatever item you're selling i'll be there like wait one second i run down the block i come back where's the tv i'm buying tvs off of them i'm buying radios over them the radio clocks off of them all kind of things man thank you so definitely man like the wwe is the best way i can describe it and if the block was clicking, it's like, three, two, one. Bam! That suspense of knowing who's the next one that's going to be coming down from up the block or down the block. But yeah, man, the, the, the fiends of the block were very resourceful when I came off. And that was another spot that I would come off in the hood. So you can see I was well taken care of, man. Pretty Ricky also had his vitamins. He had his lotion. He had his boxers and undershirts that were stolen. Half off, a quarter off, buy two, get one free. You got all the deals in the hood, man. It was dope. The hood is super, definitely resourceful. It your life. Yeah, man. It gives it meaning. It sucks, though, because, like, when you think about it, like, am I enabling it? Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. Like, am I enabling it, though, by... I should be refusing it, right? Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm not doing it no more. I'm not there. It did a lot, but it also took a lot. But, like, yeah... Yeah, a lot of us, like, you know, and, like, I wasn't really thinking what, like, I, I just knew if I needed something and they had it, I was going to come off with it. And, like, I would say, like, it wasn't only that, too. Like, some of the times, like, you remember they used to come through with, like, CDs mm -hmm. and tapes? Yes. So that's the other thing. I'm really into music. Five. Yo. Or, like, they would break, you could tell when they broke into a car because they will come with the whole, you know, the CD sleeve yes. with the zipper. And all the pockets, the whole CD book. That CD book. Yeah, you take a quick glimpse. That. You know you're getting, like, if it's 30 CDs in the book, you know 15 to 20 of them are garbage, but 10, 10 of them might be a hit. And what's the first thing you do? You inspect, you get a little, all right, cool. Oh, that's an original album, bet. Okay, okay, Dr. Dre and Snoop. Okay, cool, I got, all right, the war reports here. You start going through, like, okay, cool. And then what you do? You start pulling them out and look for scratches. You want to see the condition of the... Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was definitely a commodity. And you know what I could say? Yo, dealing with, like, like my musical taste came from mixtapes for the most part. And for the other part, my mom was into some banging music because we're close in age, pretty much. 
Like when you think about it, I'm I'm close in age with my mom, so we came up with the same music. But um, my mom sang, so I, you know I got a lot of a taste of like the music that she was into. But like, yo, I remember the feeling of buying buying one of those CD sleeves and having cultures of music that I wouldn't have all the otherwise listened to. And so like with mixtapes, it was variety. So like you have a, a taste of like a little of everything in the hood. Like, and I could say, and I always give love. And shout out to like on on um all my socials, uh, the double R, DJ Ray and Jibo the Pro double R, because like when I think mixtapes, I really think of them. I have all types of uh, mixtape artists and stuff, but when I think of them, like that's synonymous. Like if I turned all this into a movie, and there was a scene where I was driving, and I was popping a cassette into the car or whatever whatever it was, or I was popping a cassette into the boombox to start my day to get dressed, you know, to set to set my myself up. You know, before making a move, it would be that would be the scene, and that's the way it'll play out. It'd be like it's the DJ Ray and Gbo the Pro Double R, because like mixtapes would give you a sense of what was new, what was out. Sometimes they do mashups with old songs, so then you get a taste of like the old school, or sometimes they're mixing current music with old school music. So then, like you know, the more plays you get, the more repetition you're learning all this. You know, and now you're dope with the older heads because you know their music too. And a lot of things like look at us Latinos, we were exposed to Jamaican music, reggae, oh, yeah. okay. right? So a lot of times you had side A was like hip hop, R and B, side B, reggae, and we was intertwined. And it's crazy because culturally, when you think about it, we're Caribbean people. Mm-hmm. So when you go really back into our roots, we're already inclined. So it's so dope that we can intersect yep. in the hoods again and, and through music. Up. Like, hey, variety music, I'm a DJ, which means I assess music that's out. I'm doing the work so that you don't have to, and I'm going to make you have fun at the same time. But I got to think of my audience. Who's in the hood right now? And it's going to be pretty much, you know, reflective of of who his audience is. And in the Bronx, you're going to have your Jamaican spots of the Bronx. You're going to have your predominantly Puerto Rican or Latino areas of the Bronx, your Dominican areas of the Bronx. You understand, like, you know, you're, you're, you're more black areas. You understand? But all in all, we did still mix in well, but there were certain areas that were predominant. Mm-hmm. And the DJs of the areas would be the ones that kind of gave you a good tap into who was where. And we got to learn each other's music. And that was dope. I would say as a Latino, it was dope to be in house parties and to, dope to be in some teen nights and some clubs dancing reggae music yeah. and, and, and saying the words the right way. You understand? Singing back, you know, so that was pretty dope. And you know what also is dope? Being in a Spanish party and your black friend starts dancing merengue. You understand? Because they've been around so enough. What is that? Like, yo, you got whole states. You got whole states and places that for blocks you have one type of person. You know, like on the West Coast, you go to communities that are predominantly such. That, like, in many cases, they're not like us. Like, to be in the Bronx... It's to be in a spot that, like, you got that mix. And I think it's dope when we can partake in each other's culture. But I got a lot of that through mixtapes, and my diversity in music pulled me culturally to other, other people, other groups. And that's another thing. So in a way, I'm enabling the crackhead, the fiend, by buying their stuff. But I could tell you the positive that came out of it. So anyway, I don't know. It sounds like an endorsement. I guess I'm cutting it close. <laughs> I shouldn't have to do that. But... um. So, yeah, man, so, you know, my time in the Bronx and, and you know, dealing with, like, clothing and being pretty Ricky and, and getting into fashion really had its roots in thievery. When you think about it, saving money, 
you know, the more money I saved, you know, like I was already work. Like I feel like when you're living be- within your means, you gotta be smart about it. Mm-hmm. And I knew young because I was broke that every dollar counted and how much I had to stretch that dollar. So whether it was from buying clothing cheaper because it was stolen and finding out how to do trades and trade up, whether it was buying my hygiene products secondhand, you you know what I mean? It's repeating itself. It's just done differently. They're still doing... Now you got... Now you got scammers. Now they're scamming it. Because they they figured the bank is going to pay it back. So like... There's always going to be a hood Robin Hood mentality. There's always going to be the thieves and the and the Bajo Mundo people who's going to come and take from the people who have even less than they do. Like, we're always going to have that. But when I consider my time and, and you know, what I was exposed to and, and the economy that I kind of played to, that street economy was, was that. And unfortunately, my thing is that, like, me getting mixed up in doing more solid crimes and doing the things I was doing and being with the people I was being, really also had to do with that because now I'm saving money because like little money I'm earning, eventually I'm doing little illegal things and pushing the waters little by little to the point that now I find myself dabbling. Because why? Ultimately, I'm still a kid with insecurities that's trying to get as much as I could. So now it's not enough. You know, and now like, my appetite has grown a little bit. I want Moschino now. I want Versace now. I want Iceberg now. I want them Rainbow Coogees now. You understand? So, like, the appetite, like, at the core, you got to really work the work. Like, if you give a person with core problems a million dollars today, and you don't heal their core problems, they're going to go and they're going to blow that bag on the dumbest stuff. So, like, you know, we, we got these, these ailments because of being in the hood. And in my poverty and my insecurities that's developed from my poverty, you know what I mean? Like, it didn't only keep my eye open for fashion and to give me a good sense, but I yearned for clothing so bad that I started doing things for it, which is a story for a lot of people in the Bronx. And so I really do, you know, I know I pitch a mix of what the reality is. And, and, you know, in this case, the good connotations that, like, I knew how to, I knew how to, you know, play an economy and come off. And I would say some of that strategy was survival back then. And what kept the game going was insecurity, to be quite honest with you. But the fact that I could find certain principles in those, in those uh, efforts that allowed me to play with my money nowadays. You know, I could be what some call cheap for a certain degree or why you don't do that. And then I, I, I splurge money on certain other things. And all of it is all the same, you know, because there were certain core issues I had to deal with. And I had to start dealing with my, my insecurities. And, and even now, you know, I'm one that like, you know, if I got anything that's crazy luxury or designer, it's leftover. I got leftover designer clothes. Cause like, I used to buy those things to make me feel good. Now I feel like I'm the accessory in that item. That item needs me. You know what I mean? Like I look, no, I think about a Kooji hat. That Kooji hat, not not Kooji, that Gucci hat. I don't need that Gucci, that Gucci hat got me no power. Like, not even the one I got right now I'm talking about. Like, me, I'm, like, if I, right now I want to go and get a Gucci hat. Me, at this moment, how I feel about it. It's so unnecessary for me that I'm not really striving to get it. If you get it, that's cool, because you know what you need, what, you, what it means yeah. to you. Because you might not get it because it's an insecurity. I got my clothing stuff because of insecurities. Instead, I would rather spend my money on an artful piece on a vintage piece from an era that you can't get no more. Something I know nobody's gonna have in color. 
And if I go into a store and I find a $5 hat and I think it looks perfect with a designer shirt that I already had that's left over, I'm going to do that too. Because that's what I do. Because I'm real with myself. But all to say is like, you know, hood economy. And how it looks in the grit. How it looks in the slums, in our hoods. The stock X of the hood. The marketplaces of the hoods. These micro economies. The drug game and trade. Our access. Who's the major players? Know what I mean? But anyway, so all to say, man, it's been a great hour spending some time with you guys. Thank you for um, tuning in. Thank you guys for your support. Catch me on TikTok, right? Please send me a follow there and catch me on IG. On TikTok, you can find me as Kingsbridge underscore Rich. And on IG, you can find the podcast under My Bronx Story. Go shoot me a follow. I'm going to be talking about stuff and posting relevant pictures so you guys can catch the in-betweens for context. And it's just good to catch me everywhere. You know, certain things on TikTok that I can't talk about, you're going to catch over here. So shout out to all my TikTok followers that came through and, um, you know, and broke bread with me. And, um, you know, tune in next time. I got another banger coming for you. And that's the way I end it. Peace. <laughs>